Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Sallallahu ala ashrafil anbiya wa sayyidil mursalin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam ajma'in. Greetings of peace, loved ones, worldwide. I pray everyone is in a blessed state and everything is going well with you and yours. We are in the holy month of Ramadan, the month of fasting, the month of increased worship, increased contemplation, increased supplication, and increased intimacy with the revelation. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. I pray it's a time for openings and for deepenings and for great blessings for you and yours, inshallah. This episode is with a dear friend, Amir Suleiman. Amir is a poet. Amir is a uh, screenwriter. Amir is an MC. Amir is a beautiful human being and a deep brother to engage in conversation. And I've been honored uh, in my life to to engage in many a deep conversation with him. And so alhamdulillah, we finally got to record one of those and share it with you. Uh, in this conversation, as you see, we talk about narrative and story and its relation to the spiritual path. Alhamdulillah, uh, it's the month of Ramadan, and so if you want to uh, support uh, this podcast, we'd be very, very grateful. You can do so on patreon.com slash pathandpresent. Um, you can support uh, with anything, as as little as a dollar a month goes a great way. Alhamdulillah. Also, your du'as and sharing with your people is, is great and is very beneficial as well. Um, also, I wanted to mention, alhamdulillah, uh, I'm in the Seattle area for the next few months. I'm doing a bunch of programs with Wasat. Wasat is a great community organization in Seattle. Every Wednesday, we're doing a course called Knowledge of Self, and we're talking about the great sages and great spiritual masters, such as Imam Ghazali, Mawlana Rumi, Imam al-Haddad, uh, Abdul Qadir Jilani, and all of the great awliya and swalihin, um, and the ways to understand the self, what the human being is, and to transform the self. If you're in the Seattle area, come and break bread with us, break fast with us. And if not, check out Wasat's uh, um, Facebook, uh, W-A-S-A-T, Wasat, and they'll have live stream all those events as well. Alhamdulillah. Um, and then also for Rumi Center for Spirituality and the Arts, we're doing something called Ramadan Ruminations, where we're encouraging people to write poetry, poetic reflections, and really just document their internal journey on this blessed month. So uh, we hope you'll join us for this month and do that with us, inshallah. You can check that out at Rumi Center for Spirituality and the Arts on Facebook or uh, at Rumi Center Arts on Instagram. If you just check out the hashtag Ramadan Ruminations on Facebook or Instagram, you'll see all the beautiful things that people are writing and sharing, inshallah. Alhamdulillah. Without further ado, enjoy. Amir Shalimah. Assalamu alaikum. I've been reflecting on deeply is that all art is a kind of mode of narrative. Right. Like there's narrative, there's story, and then there's that's the the great well, and then everything else is a stream. Every you know art form is a method of conveying a story. Whether you're painting a picture, whether you're, obviously you're telling a movie, or whether you're writing a poem, 
or whether you're writing a short story or an epic uh, narrative, um, mm -hmm. a song, it's all story-based. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, even the deepest thing is if you study like calligraphy or you study architecture or you study mm -hmm. geometric patterns that even if you don't know the truth is is there's a story in it mm -hmm. right it's all symbolically representing things mm -hmm. tied to a greater narrative mm -hmm. and i actually think a lot about that because i remember when i became muslim and i think my art really developed a lot and grew and even like the people that i grew up with making songs and making music were like you know, six months later after I, they were like, dude, you took off. Mm -hmm. And I, and I see it as because I, obviously I had like a internal inspiration, but I think also I became, I stepped into a universe of symbolic meaning. Mm -hmm. and so I had all these, this greater narrative, this greater story that I could draw on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And in a sense, like, all the great storytellers they're drawing on like we're all in a collective story too that's what's deep about like being a muslim or being a christian or being a buddhist or any you're part of a collective narrative mm -hmm. and so and that's deep even the quran itself is part of a broader narrative which is that of the you know arabia seventh century because in the Quran, very few stories are told from beginning to end. Instead, right. the vast majority of stories are referenced. Like, remember when we said to Moses? Remember when, exactly. remember when Abraham said to Nimrod? And yeah. what's deep is like, it's just how we would talk if I was like, you remember when we were in Oakland at the burrito spot and what's it called? Like, I'm not going to tell the whole story because you know. So yeah, it's like making a Darth Vader reference. Like, mm. you know, like I'd be like, you know, like Darth Vader. Everyone has a a picture of what that means. Someone who was from the light and they went to the dark side, but you know, whatever, however I'm using that. If I say Judas, everyone understands what that means because don't don't be like Judas. I don't have to go through the whole story of Judas. Even people who aren't Christian or aren't religious or aren't studied. I can I can speak for myself. I don't know if I've deliberately read the story of Judas. But if someone says Judas, I know what they mean. They mean a traitor, you know what I'm saying? Because it's a narrative. And Allah speaking, calling it a narrative, like we, particularly when he relates about Yusuf you know, he's talking about, he's almost boasting about being a great storyteller, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm gonna demonstrate this beautiful story to you, you know? And then the Quran itself, not just in the Arabian Peninsula, that narrative, which it is, but it's also in this, this isn't the origin story, you know what I'm saying? Like we have the Torah, we have the Injil. This is the stories of the prophets that came before you, the people of Thamud, the people of Ad, the people of Pharaoh, the people of so on and so forth. And so it, it's, 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 it's reinforcing the heart, Allah is reinforcing the heart of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, by saying, and this is how we use story now even in conversation, like you said, you know, if you say something like, don't be a Judas, or if you say something like, don't be the boy who cried wolf, or you say something like, whatever it is, you're referencing that story, or if you're reinforcing someone, it's like, oh, you're like King Arthur, you know, or you're like 
uh, this is like the sword of Camelot, you know, or this is like the, 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 the ring of power, or this is like whatever, it may, this is like the infinity stones, whatever it may be. But Allah is reinforcing the heart of the Prophet by referencing this is what happened to the people that came, what you're coming with before. So when they say this to you, know that people have said that. When they say that to you, when they do this to you, when they do that to you, it's like, oh, this, I'm in a story. I'm in a narrative, a story that God is telling. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I mean every day I think about story. It becomes more profound and more meaningful that not only for humans, but it is a divine method by which the God describes what God created. It's, it is literally... You know, it's, it's beyond imagination. It expands beyond what I can imagine. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's a good point that you close with is like, even the story, the modern story of imagination is kind of like, it's unreal, right? You know, yeah, that's just imagination. And we, or we say like, that's just myth. But I think for right. traditional peoples, they had an understanding that the physical world is in a sense like, the lowest world and it's in a sense the least real world right there's actually and that's why like ibn arabi t talks in the that whole like kind of philosophical sufism they talk about alam and khayal that there's an imaginal realm that's actually mm -hmm. more real so there's a spiritual realm then there's a barzak which is the imaginal realm and then there's the physical realm right so the imaginal realm is where like the spiritual realities pass to come into physical reality. Right. The that's so, the latter part. So right. like there's, and like, you know, Plato, the Greek philosoph philosophical tradition has a similar thing because there's archetypes, right? So there's like physical manifestations of, you know, there's horses, but then there's like an archetypal horse. Horse, like, right. No categories. And we can understand symbolic meaning in things. And so it's almost like, you know, stories are, are, operating on this higher plane because right. and that's the deepest thing because for children for instance they don't want to hear like abstract theory they want to right. stories like tell right. us a story yeah and, and this is like the um you know two two things on that point I'm, I'm trying to get better light on me but now i look kind of creepy i don't know <laughs> <laughs> like, now it looks like story time okay children gather <laughs> okay, children, gather around. Let me yeah. tell you a story. I'm trying to use my, uh, my, my, my uh, flashlight. I think I'm making that up. But, uh, <laughs> um, but I remember I was with one of, you know, one of, one of, uh, an agreed upon saintly person. And that we were in, in a house, we were leaving the house. I won't disclose who the person is, but it's a person of knowledge and a person of, mashallah, great spiritual insight. So uh, we're leaving the house and there were children in the house and they're watching a, uh, a cartoon. And one of the students asked this master, um, how much of this is real and how much of it is fake? And he said, none of the things that you see in any of those cartoons or movies, none of them are fake. They haven't made up anything. All of this, whether they know it or not, is referencing something Allah already created. And once you think about it, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense that the imagination is only drinking, you know, from the great well, like you said, of the Barzak, which is coming from the spiritual wells, which is coming from the creation of Allah Ta'ala. And so, um, you know, the, so then, you know, so he was like Star Wars, 
anything you see on Lord of the Rings, any of that is, 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 is real. And when we use the word real, quote unquote, you know, we have to understand um, what that is because most people, like you said, in modernity, particularly under the influence of, of Western modern thought, is that what is most real is matter. Uh, and then whatever comes from matter by its proximity to matter becomes less and less real, you know, just a, a matter-centric uh, worldview. Uh, but like you said, most traditional societies around the world is exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so that's one, uh, that's one thing. And then the other thing is like, you know, particularly in the Islamic tradition, not particularly, actually, it's not particular to the Islamic tradition. Uh, that's just my reference point for it. But there's references for this in, I think, all traditional societies where there wasn't accepted as scholastic class, like they would talk about a virtue, and then they would list the benefits of this virtue with the proofs from the holy books or from the ancient scribes or whatever. Like, you know, this is gratitude. This is ingratitude. The virtues of gratitude are ABC, XYZ. The proofs that this is a virtue is the ancient so-and-so said or God said in his book or whatever, and there's a list. That's for academic people. But the way people learn that is through a story. This is the story of the king who lost everything but he was grateful and then such and such. Or this is a story of a poor man who got wealth and he was ungrateful and became haughty and then this is what happened. And that's how people learned about virtue. Likewise, same in the modern age, we learn about virtue from Luke Skywalker, you know, from John Wayne, you know, from Tom Cruise. Like we learn what it is to be a hero, what it is to be good, what it is to be noble, what it is to sacrifice, the virtue of sacrifice, the virtue of love, the virtue of courage, the virtue of truthfulness and so on. We are trained in this by way of story. And so for, you know, when I think about uh, Muslim people in particular, you know, to leave off the affair of story is to leave off, you know, what they call soft power. Like this is like a great power to affect, to change, to influence, to benefit narrative, meaning the narrative of just our age is a great, great power. It's a great power. And I don't think we realize how much of our clamoring around uh, politics or clamoring around, you know, um, other things where we're seeking for power, even military. Mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion, and, you know, this is arguable, of course, but there's no power greater than narrative. Narrative can stop war. Narrative does stop and start war. If they're going to have a war, we're going to make peace today. If they're going to start war or they're going to make peace, people sit in a room and figure out what's the narrative. And then they feed that to the media or they feed that to the people through the press conferences. It's not haphazard. People decide this is the story. Iraq needs to be liberated. Saddam Hussein is a terrorist. It's about women and women's freedom. And these women have to wear burqas, so we should fight and bomb their country to liberate them so they can wear skirts. And whatever it is, you have to cook up this narrative. So it literally starts and stop war. There is not a war except that there's a narrative that supports it, that holds it, that frames it, you know? It's powerful. It's powerful. Yeah, and it's deep too because in a sense, war or when like tribes or civilizations or nations meet, they're meeting as like competing narratives essentially right. like if you think of you know the cowboys and the indians like they are right. living in totally different narratives of what existence even is and right. so that is clashing it's not just right. physical and then also i mean the one that comes to mind 
as a you know profound example of this is Israel Palestine. Like right. these are peoples with competing narratives about the physical soil. Right. And so and those two narratives they can't be reconciled. Right. So one of them has to give or right. we just keep fighting forever until right. one is superior because they're totally different narratives about who we are as a people and what this land is and who it belongs to. Right, right. No. And yeah, it's wild. No, it's deep. And it's just a, a means, um, you know, outside or deeper than just, you know, in its political form, but it's it's a means of and and I, and I haven't quite gotten to the to the bottom of this. Why is it so effective as a means of spiritual instruction? What is it about narrative as opposed to listing or as opposed to like um teaching in the, in, the, in the way that we use teaching now mm-hmm. the word teaching now what is it about narrative and, and and giving i guess it's to give the virtues a form you know so it's not gratitude it's or it's not courage it's luke skywalker you know what i'm saying or it's not wisdom it's yoda or it's not you know what i mean so i can i can identify with yoda i can't see wisdom I can't imagine wisdom, you know what I'm saying? Maybe that's what it is, but it as a tool, I mean, going from the comedic societies all the way up to today, without intermission, even in the modern age, I mean, we live in the greatest age of storytelling ever. The history of the human being story has developed in a way, like we say, binge watching, that that's even a term in English. Mm-hmm. That, that term wasn't a term 10 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Except for a person who has like um, a psychological disorder. You know, like if someone sat in their house, bro, if someone sat in their house 20 years ago and was watching one show for 10 hours, mm-hmm. bro, that would be something you would see on the, on the um, Ricky Lake, you know, about this person, how he lost his wife and his job. And, you know, you're like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's unheard of. But for people, to, actually with the exception of soap operas, I think so far was the only exception mm-hmm. of this style of narrative that's been, we are kind of watching the same story. It's the same characters, the same thing. And it's just goes on and on and on for years. Um, but the, but the rate at which and the amount of narrative that we consume, mm. even epic poems like the Odyssey, Beowulf, yeah. no one sat like that to hear a story like Breaking Bad. And in five or six seasons, an hour each, 10 episodes a season, mm-hmm. where I, Amir, have committed some 60 hours of my life, you know what I'm saying? To that one narrative, following the story of this one guy, you know what I'm saying? Of, of Walter White. I'm invested in this character. And what happens to him and watching him grow and change it's teaching me something about myself, whether I like it or not, whether I know it or not, whether I acknowledge it or not, but it's reinforcing or challenging what I understand what it means to be human. You know what I mean? And that's something profound. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we're right, raising some really interesting things. And you asked that question, like what is really happening on the deeper level? Because, yeah. and one thing to look at that I was thinking about is every product that is sold is sold using narrative as well. That's what a commercial right. is or an right. advertisement. Even if it's just a picture of some woman wearing some clothes and you're trying to sell whatever Nikes or anything like that, 
there's a narrative attached to how she looks, to yeah. what she's doing, to her physical movement, to all that stuff. Yeah, what her hair looks like, what color her skin is, is she in the countryside, or is she in the city, is she at home, inside out? All those are decisions that are made by people right. to reinforce a narrative about that product. And they work. Like, there is, it is undoubted that these, like, take a, a you know, commercial on television. In fact, television itself is an ad for the commercials because what is selling television is the commercial. Right, like right. That is why that is on TV is right. because there's people that, you know, advertisers spend all this money to have your eyeballs. So the more successful the television show, that means the more eyeballs get on it. That means the more budget they have for the show, then it's yeah. a successful show. It's all about selling us something. And the deeper thing is we know, when a commercial comes on, you know, all right, there's a whole multi-million dollar campaign with yeah. very strategic marketing to affect what I want and to get right. my money. And yet it's right. still works. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, I think, right, if it's a truck or it's a, you know, everything is sold using, you know, uh, using desires, essentially. Right. Yeah. What we desire to be, who we desire to be, who we desire to be with, what kind of people, what kind of story we want to have for ourselves. Right. You want to yeah. wear that watch because yeah. that's that narrates a story about who you are to other people and to yourself. Yeah. Right. right. So all right. of this stuff is going on in this deeper level. And I mean, there's so much about that. But one thing that they talk about in this book, uh, uh, Cyrus Ali Zargar, which I was telling you about this book, and I just mm. did a podcast with him. He mentions, I think it's in the chapter on Ibn Sina, because some of the Muslim, there's like ikhtilaf amongst the Muslim philosophers on if storytelling was a high art or if it was lower than like just pure rational discourse. Mm. Because like, and you even find this in Imam al-Ghazali, even though he uses a lot of stories, often he'll say like a very abstract, like theoretical, this is what's going on. And then he'll say, for those that are more dim-witted, I'm going to tell a story. Like he really just puts it on some like, for those that need, but there was, there was a difference of opinion because others were like, no, story is actually higher because we have two faculties. We have the rational, logical faculty, but we also have this imaginative faculty, which is really important. Mm. And so if you're just engaging the rational, logical, that's one. If you're just telling a story that has no meaning, essentially beyond the story, that's imagination. But if you're telling truth, telling an allegory, a symbolic narrative, which conveys a deeper truth, then you're essentially activating them both at once. And, and I think that's why it's more enthralling. Yeah. Yes. That's why I think I'll go sit in a two-hour movie, but if the khutbah is two hours, I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? I got to get out of here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I'll sit, like I said, I was, how many hours? So, binge watch three episodes, and that's light work, bro. If I watch three episodes or something, that's still light work. You know what I'm saying? Three hours? If I had to sit in a three-hour talk about the virtues or even whatever the concepts are that are being talked about in the show. Right. If I had to send in a three hour thing about crimes or about methamphetamines or about, you know, the virtue of not loving the world, you know what I'm saying? I'd get tired, you know what I mean? But I could ride with Walter Wright, 
no problem. Now I have to discipline myself to stop after the third episode so I could go and do something productive with my life. But that's, I was of the opinion, likewise, that story was a lower form. Not until, really, not until, I, you know, I've been a, a poet, you know, professionally for, you know, what, 15, almost 20 years or something like that. So, you know, I've been engaging story, engaging storytelling in a way. Not until I started writing film, you know, just uh, a couple years ago, did I just really deepen my level of respect for narrative. And it really lit up my mind and lit up my heart and lit up my spirit. What happens when consuming a story? Because now I'm behind, you know, it's like a chef, you know? Like you eat something like, oh my God, this is delicious. But then you learn, oh, it's because this citrus and this fat and this, you know, uh, savory and like at this, you know, you're, you're behind the scene and I know when it hits your tongue, the, the sensation that you have, I know what it is because I designed it. It's not, it's not, you know, happenstance. And so as an avid movie watcher, you know, ever since a kid, it was my favorite pastime. You know what I'm saying? Even when other people would want to like go and party and go to other things, I would really like to watch movies. I'm still like that to this day. And so, um, so consumed a lot of movies, but man, sitting down and writing one, sheesh, it opened up my mind to a whole another level of respect for the form, just that it's difficulty, but then also what's happening, like what I'm doing to the audience and understand what's been done to me so many times. Hmm. It's like, wow, this is deep. This is a deep spiritual technology. Hmm. It's a deep spiritual technology, man, uh, that I'm just thoroughly amazed by. You know what I mean? Thoroughly yeah. amazed. I want to hear more about that because that's deep. And, you know, one thing that's deep about it is that when you see a movie or even when you read like Shakespeare or you read Rumi or you read an epic narrative mm-hmm. or even a lesser one, what's deep about it is that all of those characters who are developed and who have lives and who have backstories and who have identities and if it's especially if it's a kind of allegorical piece like the great artist the great art always is Shakespeare for instance always has characters representing flaws in in character or virtues or perspectives or Mm -hmm. you know what I mean philosophical approaches to life right but what's deep is all of those people who we come to love or come to hate or make us laugh or make us cry etc or come to identify with if we want to say I'm Luke Skywalker, right? Or yeah. I'm Morpheus or I'm, you know what I mean? Whatever. Right. All those characters exist in someone's imagination, in one person. So right. all the characters in Shakespeare, he's a good example, right? They're all in whoever wrote that. They're right. all in it. They don't right. actually exist outside of him. Right. Right. <laughs> no, it's, it's, and, that, and that's what was amazing in me writing because you know in any good piece and any a lot of these pieces that we might think are trash mm-hmm. like you know some transformer movie or some romantic comedy that we think of as like low cinema right and it is it is like a lower form of, of cinema art but even in the standard text of screenwriting even what was whatever was required to write pootie tang or whatever 
<laughs> and why did Louis C.K. write that though? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> crazy i remember when i read two things about him i remember when i realized that he wrote that that was a mind-blowing thing and that he's mexican it was a mind-blowing discovery i was <laughs> like you're mexican bro yeah so anyway <laughs> anyway so you know even something like that in the standard most basic lowest form of cinema when you read any of the books about screenplay that's where i was starting i was starting from you know from scratch and that's what they say each character mean something. They're not an actual person. If you write them as an actual person, you, you'll miswrite them. They have to mean something. They have to have, each character has a narrative about the world, you know? Um, Magneto has a narrative about the world that contradicts Professor Xavier's narrative about the world. Now the writer is preferring one of those narratives to the other. And that's why one is a protagonist and one is an antagonist. But in order to manifest the antagonist, I mean, to manifest the protagonist's virtue, it needs to be challenged mm -hmm. or contrasted with a rival, opposite, or alternative view. And a type of view that can't coexist at the same time. So there can't be two views that could just like come together and live in harmony because there's no drama, there's no conflict, and that's what storytelling is about. Difficulty, draw, conflict. So, yeah, every, you know, from Shakespeare all the way down to Pootie Tang, you know what I'm saying? There is that, that thing that each character is about, and it's coming out of one person. So then I have these characters inside me. You know, I'm writing this film called Wake, right? So I have this character named Yusuf. I have this character named Diana. I have this character named Susu. I have this character named, you know, and I have to develop inside of myself because not only the way they think, the way they talk, their, their cadence, the types of things that they would say in any given situation, I have to become intimately familiar with these people, but they're all me, you know? And so, but this is one of the, the, one of the first and most profound discoveries I had, which is very personal. So I'm writing this story, right? The, 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 the main character is Yusuf. I love Yusuf. He, he, is the, he is the reason that I created the story. You know what I'm saying? Everything revolves around Yusuf, right? And I want to manifest his heroic characteristics, some good or virtue in him. So what do I do? I put him in hardship after hardship after hardship after hardship. Because if I'm going to show him courage, show his courage, I have to create danger. I, as the creator of this world, have to create danger so that I can demonstrate how courageous he is. You know what I mean? I have to uh, demonstrate hardship to show his determination to get what he wants. I have to, so I'm just, if you didn't know better, you would think I hated him. But it reminds me of the message of Allah Sallallahu saying that when Allah loves you, he tests you. And Allah, um, talking about the who gets the most severe test, the prophets, and after them, the, the saints, and so on and so on, right? And it's like, ah, I get it, because we can't know Muhammad Sallallahu We can't know Jesus, the son of Mary, we can't know them except that they demonstrate their prophetic virtues. And that can only be in the presence of what is in confrontation to those prophetic virtues. So Musa needs a Fir'aun, or else we would never know who Musa was. We would never know who he was. We would never know if he had courage or not. We would never know if he would speak truth to power or whatever. You know what I'm saying? If it were not for Fir'aun. So he needed Pharaoh to manifest himself. Ibrahim, Abraham needed Nimrod, you know? 
every, every prophet has a magneto, you know what I'm saying? Every professor Xavier has a magneto. Every Luke Skywalker has a Darth Vader. And so every Imam Mahdi has a Dajjal. So it's, I was realizing as I'm putting, and sometimes, like I would put him through a hardship, but it wasn't like hard enough. It wasn't painful enough. So then I would put something in his backstory. Like say, for example, I put something in the story that's hard. His wife does something that's very hurtful to him. And I, I'm making his wife do it and I'm making his wife hurt, right? But I, I claim to love him. I hurt him, but I feel like it didn't hurt enough. So then I put in his backstory, a mother who died, that references what his wife did or said. So this would even hurt worse. Mm. So I go in his past and create something that will make the pain even more severe. And I was like, you would think I hated him. You would think I hated him. And so it makes me think of times that I or other people would say, why me, oh God, why? You know what I mean? Um, but when I understand my life as narrative, then, and this is what the saints say, this is what the Sufis say, that hardship becomes pleasure. You know what I'm saying? Oh, this is the part of the movie. This is the part of my story. When I overcome poverty or I overcome danger, I over this is a time for me to show off my heroic characteristics. I remember watching uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, and he mentioned one of the best advice that he ever got. He was like, view yourself as the hero in your own movie. You know what I'm saying? And you're at the part of the movie when you're a loser. But you know how the movie ends, right? You're jacked up, whatever, and this is the part of the movie when you start to make the change. This is when you become the hero. This is when you go from Peter Parker to Spider-Man. This is when you come from, you know what I'm saying, Luke the, the orphan to Luke the Jedi. This is when you become the, uh, um, and Mr. Anderson, the computer hacker, to Neo. You know, this, this, you, we're going to watch yourself and view yourself as that and do the thing. So then the hardship that comes, it's almost a turn on. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, like, once Neo was surrounded by 100,000 Mr. Smiths, mm -hmm. that's exci you, you're excited about that part. You love Neo, though, but you're excited about that part because now I'm really going to see Neo show off what he's learned. You know what I'm saying? Now this is, a, this is an adequate environment and confrontation where he can demonstrate how much of a hero he really is. And then we have the epic battle sequences and so on, whether whatever movie in Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or Star Trek, whatever it is. And we see that. And I said, man, this is teaching me so much about my life because I'm, I'm, I'm basically, I mean, you know, no shirk Sherlock, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a creator of a little world. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm the governor of this little world. And I create these nafus. I create ego selves that have strengths and weaknesses, preferences and dislikes and so on. And I put them in context and I create the whole world to, to, to force them to engage with each other such that I can demonstrate what I, Amir, want to say. I want to say something about virtue. I want to say something about courage. So I create this, these, all these uh, nafus, all of these nafs 
all of these egos. I create them. I create an environment. I create a circumstance. I create need. I create love. I create hate. I create desires and these. So I can demonstrate something about what I want to say about what I created. You know, I said, mashallah, that's amazing. Mm. It's you know, it's amazing. Yeah. There's so much there. And uh, I think one of the interesting pieces, right, is like, we all have, we all have our um, exemplars, right? We all have those people who we're actually model, modeling ourselves after protagonists. You know what I mean? And everyone has one. That's the thing. Even, you know, people that are saying like, I'm a rebel, so I'm against who society says should be my, uh, you know, exemplar. They take an exemplar that is a rebel, right? Is, you know what I mean? That is. And this is deep because it's almost like we need that. And it kind of gets back to the, this conversation of like why story in a sense, I think on some level we need like an embodiment. We need an yeah. embodiment of principles, right? Like you say, to talk about courage theoretically in abstract form, it's like, in a sense, it, it's not as effective as just telling a very short story about somebody who embodies courage. You know what I mean? And you know, uh, what you said is deep about like writing in difficulty because even in like a love story, right? If you tell a love story and the story is just so-and-so loves so-and-so, so she loves him back and they, they get together. That's a terrible story. It's yeah, a terrible People story. would say it's not even a story. <laughs> right, exactly. It's not a story until this conflict and conflict is yes. overcome or engaged in some way. You have people would say, when does the story start? You know, is it about them getting divorced later? You know, like, where does the story start? It's no story. Yeah. Yeah, that's deep. Yeah, that's deep. And uh, yeah, that's deep. And actually stories, like if you were to hit me up and be like, yo, man, this happened. And, you know, you say like, for instance, I went on Africa, I went on safari and like this lion was circling our Jeep and I'm like, wait, then what happens? And then if you're like, yeah, but then he went away, it was cool. I'd be like, oh, that wasn't that good of a story. Like I was waiting for him. Like he starts right. jumping on your truck and everybody right. has to run and you got to climb a tree. Then it's a good story. Right, right. And, even, right. and even in that context, like even with, uh, so say for example, I call you and I say, yo, ooh, I met this girl, she's crazy beautiful she's cool she's smart everything i got a number we've been talking she likes me too we're together now even that it, by itself that's not a great story except if you know the story of my life like why am i saying so even though that particular story is not interesting because there's no conflict but if you know how hard it is that to come by just in a general sense and you're like oh wow that's crazy because the odds that are against you to accomplish what you just told me in a, in a longer narrative, even if it's not this narrative that I'm telling you right now, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, if I said, yo, I won a lottery, that's exciting. Because, mm -hmm. dude, you've been poor since I know you. So it's like, this is, this, is, oh, this is the part of a longer story where this part happens against insurmountable odds. Somehow you, you know, if I say, you know, corner stuff off, like, yo, we got picked up for three seasons in such and such joint. That's just good news. There's no conflict there. But because that's, that's not really the whole story. So it's like, so even all the time, we're kind of always processing everything in a, in a context of a story. You know what I'm saying? 
So if I call you and tell you this about this girl, you're like, oh, this, this, this is a mirror. But you, you think about a mirror or you think about just relationships in the modern age and how hard it is or whatever the narrative is, but you're going to put it inside of a narrative and that's going to determine how, how, if you, how excited you are about it. Like, yo, if, you've been, if your narrative has been like, yo, you know, ain't no those type of women in the world or whatever, or Amir's never gonna, or uh, it's too hard in modernity to have, whatever, whatever the narrative is, what that information, you're still gonna plug it into your narrative, you know what I'm saying? And then that's what's gonna determine the meaning of it, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think relating this to metaphysics and like the Sufi perspective on this affair of existence, I think then it takes on some, and I think this is the undercurrent to this whole conversation because the profound teaching that Allah said, I was a hidden treasure that loved to be known. So I created. And Ibn Arabi states very clearly that actually, um, he actually, Ibn Arabi says something amazing. He says, the reason you dream, the reason human beings dream is to have some, is this is a gift from Allah to understand what existence is vis-a-vis God. Mm-hmm. That in, in, in other words, we're in a divine dream. We're in a divine imagination. Mm-hmm. And this whole, the implications of, I was a hidden treasure that loved to be known, so I created, is that before anything, there was unity, oneness, the supreme, the source, the creator, Allah. And you can't say that there's any deficiency in Allah. However, when there's one, what there isn't is duality. Right. So if there's anything that quote unquote lacks, because Allah doesn't lack anything, it's that there's no, pers- you know, there's no second. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no limitation in a sense. And so mm-hmm. that this whole affair is beings created with such that the Allah gets to be known and loved. And in a sense gets to, and the, here's where you, you know, alhamdulillah poetic license gets to experience through each experiencer. Right. Right. See what I'm saying? Because that's the thing about when you watch a movie you know, of course, there's like the protagonist, the main individual. But if the, the writer is good, they'll develop the other characters, too. So you'll see you may not agree with them or you may see all the, the you know, he's a bad guy. But you also see how he got like that. And you understand. You, you start yeah. to empathize at least a little bit. And then yeah. you start to see through his perspective. Even if you see, oh, he doesn't have the full perspective. He's, he's on the wrong path. But you still see why. He sees yeah, it. You know, one of the greatest characters written, I think, ever on this is something that just happened last year. Is Killmonger is an excellent example of that mm-hmm. type of character where, okay, you're the villain, you know, but you're uh, the writer, um, I'm forgetting his name right now, Kugler. What, what he did with him is he developed him so richly. Like he gave him such development. You understand totally everything he's saying. You may not agree with everything, but it is sound. Like you like, oh, I, I get it. I right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you want to kill all these people and their families and their children? 
I don't want to kill their children, but yeah, yeah, I get it. You know what I'm saying? But you know what you said made me think of two things. One from from Sheikh Maisi, say my Sheikh, and then one from his Sheikh. So Sheikh Maisi says about poetry. He said it's like dreaming while you're awake. You know, to reference that Ibn Arabi piece. You know, it's and, and I would include also this is what it was like writing the screenplay. Because I'm 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 dreaming. Like I'm making characters. I'm making their forms, the, where they come from, why they're there, what they want, what they're doing. I'm, I'm like, and this is why it's so hard, because it's like trying to pull that state of being while you're awake and like typing, mm. you know what I'm saying? While you're actually engaging this material universe, you're creating another universe and you're trying to like distill that universe down into actual B, O, L, period, such and such, you know, like into that, into symbols of this world, you know what I'm saying? Um, that's one. And two is, you know, Sheikh Ibrahim and Yas, you know, who, who only died in, in 1975. May Allah be pleased with him. You know, so they're dealing with different technological advances. So some people are writing them like, is the radio halal or haram? You know what I'm saying? Is um, television and cinema halal or haram? You know what I mean? So he's having to answer questions about this type of stuff, you know? It's like the internet, you know, people are all like, is it a sign of the job, you know, all of this type of stuff, right? So he says about cinema, about movies, he said that he would like each of his murids, each of his talibans, each of his students to go to the cinema at least once. Because then you can experience what it's like to see something that is real and unreal at the same time. You know what I'm saying? That you're having a very real experience, but it's not real, but it is real, but it's not. For example, and this deals with time as well. So, you know, say, you know, you're, you're sitting and you're watching, you know, Lord of the Rings. And I say, did Gandalf the Grey become Gandalf the White yet? That's what I say, right? So maybe that part hasn't happened yet in the story. But I've seen the movie several times, and you've seen the movie several times. So you can say, no, it hasn't happened, and that's true. But we've seen the movie already. So yes, it has happened. We've, we've watched that happen over and over again. Three, if you took the DVD out or the USB drive or however you're viewing it, that moment is always existing there. Say if it's worth, to, to make it easy, say if it's on a DVD. The point on a DVD where that moment's happened, it's always happening. So it's always happening, and then, it's not even real, so it never happened. There is no Gandalf, and he never becomes Gandalf the White. So it is true in that moment that it has not happened, it's already happened, it's always happening, and it never happened. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we understand about matter once we get into even what science is coming to agree upon as far as the nature of time. Uh, but we're doing that with story very um, naturally, you know what I'm saying? And by looking at story as a high form, like if we looked at it with the seriousness that we look at spirituality and sacred texts and, and things like that, if we looked at it with the seriousness of that, we would uncover a great deal of, like what you said, of divine experience by, like I, I'm realizing, I'm like, I'm creating a world. Like this is a nuts and I made it. I just made this ego self, you know what I'm saying? And these other ego selves and I made time. So I'm bouncing back and forth in time. I'm, 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 I, 
I'm looking at time like this, like a thing, you know what I'm saying? And I can go wherever in time I want to go. And cinema explores this to a great deal, more than even other art form, other storytelling art forms. So the flashback, flashback is, a, is a commonly used tool. The flash forward is a commonly used tool. You know, if you're watching a Tarantino film, or you're watching a, um, who does this a lot? Who, who's the director and the writer? Oh, Nolan, Christopher Nolan, you know what I mean? When he does Inception or Dunkirk or um, uh, what's another movie that I can't remember. But anyway, he does very strange things with time, you know? So I can engage in the past, future, present. It's all available to me, you know what I mean? And when we think about what the reality of time is, like you said, from the view of God, you know, that, yeah, God, God is not moving through time. He's outside of time, engaging as he would like, you know? So all of these things came rushing into my consciousness, rushing into my understanding, just by trying to write a movie. It's really much, it's, it's, I've been writing poetry, for, well, writing poetry for a long time, but like as a profession for 20 years, I thought that this was, in my opinion, maybe it was just me being pretentious, but I was like, poetry is the highest form of writing. Like, this is as far as language can go. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I had the deepest spiritual opening writing this movie than I have any other thing. It has been the most profound spiritual experience that I've had in my life, you know, in creating something. MashaAllah. Yeah, MashaAllah. Yeah, and SubhanAllah, I mean, all those characters are inside of you. And I think, you know, what's interesting is like, the world's wisdom, sacred traditions are unanimous in that if you get to like the mystical essence, it's that the only thing that is separating each one of us from the ultimate reality is this thinly veiled, this thin veil of self, of perceiving oneself. Mm -hmm. And unanimously, there's a teaching that uh, people can get at least glimpses of beyond the veil, that they can remove themselves. Mm -hmm. And what's really deep about that is that, you know, and this is the idea of the hidden treasure that love to be known and like Qalbul Mu'min Arsha Rahman, that the heart of the believer is the throne of the all merciful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the fanafi la, this annihilation in the divine reality, is it, in a sense, every character um, the even the sub subjectivity of the character there's something extremely mysterious happening in mm -hmm. every single individual and mm -hmm. also, if we go to the fact that another thing the traditions are unanimous about is that everything we do in this play of existence, this movie of life on earth that we are held accountable for it. We've mm -hmm. talked about this before, whether it's the Abrahamic tradition speaking of a, a day of rising, a day of accountability, a day of judgment, or whether it's the Dharmic tradition speaking about uh, a wheel of reincarnation. Th those may seem hard to reconcile on the surface, but what they share is that whatever you do, whether it's of benefit or of harm to others, et cetera, you will reap its repercussions in the next realm. Yeah. And of course, that will define what story you were placed into. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that yeah. will 
and they're unanimous about that, which is interesting. But mm-hmm. I, I'm really interested in this point that like the one, you know, and you have this in all traditions is that they're, you know, in the Sufi tradition, this idea that there was only God and nothing else existed and God is as he always was. That in the highest mm-hmm. estimation, nothing exists but right. God. Even right. though we may be in this movie and we're totally like enthralled with it. I mean, the whole point is like of the sacred scriptures and of the prophets is like their reminders that like this is a movie and you're going to wake up for it and you're going to see what it's all about. It's not what it looks like. It's all symbols. You get to choose what character you play. (laughs) Exactly. It's virtual reality. It's not reality. It's something that's kind of resembling reality. It's virtually real. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's what I'm saying. And that's the, that's the amazing part because at the end of the day, Yusuf, Mimi, Susu, all of these characters, they don't, it, it's just me. I, and I, before the movie was written, I am how I was. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I am as I was. So these characters did not add on to me. They can't harm me. They can't, if they're very grateful, it doesn't give me anything. If they're ungrateful, it doesn't give me, it doesn't take anything away from me. I could give every one of them everything that they ever wanted and it wouldn't decrease from me at all. Mm-hmm. I could refuse every one of their pleas and I don't care. Like, you know, sometimes when people engage in sacred tests and they hear God speaking from his majesty, they, they want to like engage with God like, God has to be fair with us or something like, hmm. that's not fair. Why would God say he said, <laughs> he's God. <laughs> like, you're not, and this was part of the problem with um, making God a person. You know what I'm saying? I, I, okay, I'm Amir, that's Yusuf. I have a name, he has a name. I have desires, he has desires. We're not the same. He can't do me anything. He can't do me anything. He can't harm me at all. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, I could give him everything he ever wanted, like this, one in succession, one after the other. But that's not the story I want to tell. I want to give this servant this and this servant that. And I want to take this away from that character and give it to this character because I want to do it. And you don't have any recourse. You can't judge me. These characters that I made they can't judge me. You can't, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's not like you can't meaning I'm too high in my, it's not even a point of pride. I'm saying you're literally not on my level. You know what I'm saying? Like you have no power. There is no power and might in your world except me. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's it, you know? And so it, it, it removes some of our sense of entitlement with God. That's what I'm trying to get to. There's a sense of entitlement with God. You know what I'm saying? But if you understand this is a narrative, you can understand a relationship between yourself and the dream. I like yourself and a story even better because the story is deliberate. Like a dream is kind of, you, you might be in control, you might not be a sort of a kind of, but when you write a story, again, dreaming while you're awake, you're making decisions about each of these creations. You know what I'm saying? And you're doing things to them purposely, for a reason, you know what I mean? And once I engage that, and I'm like, yeah, these characters, 
I give them whatever I give them and I take whatever I take and I don't care. I'm gonna give you some good in the end, but I'm gonna do it in a way that I wanna do it when I want to do it. And for Yusuf, he thinks it's a long time, but the time between his greatest, his worst year and his best year is literally only two minutes of screen time. But in his calculation of time, it was years. I'm doing it the way I want to do it for reasons. Some of them he may understand, some of them he may never understand, and I don't care. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling the story. It's, it's really, mashallah, it's, it, 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 it further sub, subjugated to me, subjugated me to the reality of God. You know what I'm saying? And how far, even saying far is a wrong word, because it's, it's like how transcendent Allah is. Not just how much bigger than me or like better or stronger. Subhanallah. Just beyond, beyond. You know what I'm saying? Totally. I, I, I can't, I can't. There is no, um, yeah, mashallah. Like, you hear me? No comparison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because now I'm through thinking about film and thinking about these characters in a relationship with me. I'm, I, yeah, it just increased my awe of God. Right. Yeah, you reminded me of two ayahs which have to do with vision, actually, and perception. Uh, one is, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْئًا وَهُوَ al basir. And it's really ajib because it, nothing is like him. Nothing is like unto him. And what? And he is the seeing and the hearing. Mm. Which is really deep because... A lot of things see and a lot of things hear, right? Mm-hmm. Not only just humans, but bats and whales and, you know, squirrels. You know what I mean? They see and hear in their own way. So it's like, it's almost like, why would he use those names when he could use names that really no, no one else does? Right. But that's a profound teaching is that what, when, when we say God sees and God hears, there's there's almost no similarity. There is some because it's, again, it's symbolic, but it's of, of a whole other order. And then right. the other profound verse is vision perceives him not, but he perceives all vision. Right. Which is so deep, which is like a, an author, a writer. Exactly. Like, no one in the story can see the one writing them, but he right. sees all of their perspective. And, and, that's what that's the point because sometimes that verse or verses like it in any of the traditions it's like there's a god that's seeing everyone right that's part of it yes but god is the seeing he's the only one that's actually seeing so when yusuf lays his eyes on something yusuf looks at a dollar on the ground Mm -hmm. i'm looking at the dollar i'm making is is his eyes that i'm using to tell a story he only sees what I want him to see. You know what I'm saying? The, the, and that's a you know amazing thing and about writing. And you wrote the dollar, and you wrote the street, and, <laughs> right. and really, it is you that wrote it. The dollar doesn't exist except as in you. You know what right. I mean? And so that scene, the dollar, what is being seen, and the seeing itself. I'm the seeing. I'm the seeing. Not just I can see Yusuf, and I can see all the characters. I'm saying the sight that he's using is not his sight. It's not generated from his own faculties. He doesn't even exist. Where is Yusuf? Where is he? Where is Yusuf? Where, where, where is he? He just exists in my mind. He only exists in my mind. You know what I'm saying? And 
Yeah, so you would have to say, Subhanallah, Subhanallah, wa Allahu Akbar. You know what I'm saying? Because Allah is, yeah, He's the only one seeing. He's the only one hearing. You know what I'm saying? And this relates really, interesting. Nah. Hold on. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, this relates interestingly to, so, fanafila, annihilation in God. And you have this whole tradition in the Sufi tradition of what's called the shatiyat, which are these mystical utterances where people speak in the divine first person. And mm-hmm. what's interestingly enough is they, the exemplar of that is the Prophet ﷺ himself. Mm-hmm. Because you have the Hadith Qudsi. When the Prophet, they're not Quran, they're Hadith, but the Prophet is speaking in the first person, right? Mm-hmm. I am the treasure that love to be known. Uh, my servant draws near to me, et cetera, et cetera, until I love him. And when I love him, I become the eye with which you see, the ear with which you, right? So that's a whole, that's a specific one. But, you know, you have Halaj, Bayazid, Bistam, you have this whole tradition of mystical utterances, Ana al-Haq, Subhani, glory to me, because, and the later Sufi tradition even those that were more very, you know, more conservative, they always said they defended them because they said like, they're not speaking from their self. They're speaking from absence of self. They actually tapped in, you could say, to once that self is gone, it is just the author of all selves. Right. They are experiencing in the first person. And again, no. no go, go, go ahead, go ahead. And it's hard to even speak about these things from a point of duality. If you're not, right. that's why, how can, it's, it's all about taste and experiential knowledge. It's not theoretical. But I was also thinking, you know, on the Sufi path, they also talk about Fanafi Rasulullah, Fanafi Sheikh, that like you actually, on the stages to annihilation and the ultimate reality, there is like an annihilation in the exemplar, right? Your right. living spiritual master. And then the, master of all spiritual masters and so that once you pattern yourself on the protagonist so much and that's why the sunnah is so profound it's not just like oh we put this foot and we say that it's like that there is a metaphysical depth that you actually lose your self-identity in the personage of the exemplar Right. which is deep about like when you, which is what's happening when you watch a movie like you become neo it's not just mm-hmm. like oh i'm watching neo right. why is this because it actually transforms you a child who's listening to a story and then that becomes your pattern i want to be courageous i know right. the bullies are trying to beat me up on the way to school but i'm luke skywalker i'm neo i'm right. I'm Jesus. I'm the prophet. I'm going to act in a way upon the exemplar. And you do so until it's, that is who you are. are. Yeah, yeah, that is who you are. You become the president. And that is the fanat. That is that, that, you know, it's, it's a trip because there's a movie, man. You should watch this movie under the context of what we're talking about. I mean, have you ever seen adaptation? No. It's a coffin film. Man, this will blow your wig back. I'm going to go watch it again. I've watched it. I've watched it several times, um, but it's it's Andy Kaufman, who's a writer in real life, writing like himself, writing a story where he's in it, and and the character in it is writing. Mm. Anyway, you you see this interplay between even though it's not like a spiritual movie, but it's just a beautiful demonstration at this point 
where the character inside the illusory realm becomes conscious of the writer. You know, uh, there's another movie, movie called The Big Short, who's the same director as who did um, Vice, the movie, the Dick Cheney movie that's out in the theaters now. Mm. It's called The Big Short. It's about the financial crisis in 2008. Steve mm-hmm. Carell, Brad Pitt, and um, Ryan Gosling, whatever. But you remember there were points where they were explained to the audience, there'd be like this weird cutaway, and there'd be this, you know, girl sitting in a hot tub explaining what a short sell is or something like that, you know what I'm saying? Because that is, or they, or they talk about like breaking the fourth wall, but it's kind of different. Instead of breaking the fourth wall, it's like breaking the first wall. So breaking the fourth wall, for people who don't know, you know, like when you're watching theater, there's like an imaginary wall between the audience and the people on stage and the people are acting in it. And we understand that we can see them, but they can't see us. They kind of pretend like we're not there. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's the fourth wall. But then when they turn to talk to us, so like in House of Cards, a lot of theater they use yeah, this, but like in House of Cards, there's a moment where Frank Underwood will turn to the audience and speak directly to the audience, meaning you're seeing me, but I can also see you. And that's a particular storytelling device, right? But rarely is it breaking the first wall. I'm, I'm making this, up, this terminology up right now. What I mean, but a first wall is not the wall that faces the audience, but breaking the wall that faces the writer. Where, for example, if we were in a story, in a story about Baraka Blue and Amir Suleiman having a podcast, and then I start saying to the writer, uh, why did you have me do this podcast right now? You know what I'm saying? Or I, I'm engaging the one... This is what du'a, this is like, this is engaging the author. All of, uh, you know, um, the angels asking, you know, will you create the, the, the humans and people that will spread uh, mischief and shed blood uh, on the earth while we're worshiping you? You know, they're, they're engaging, they're breaking the first wall. They're engaging the author of the narrative. You know what I'm saying? And, we, and that's what Salat, Salat is breaking the first wall. I'm going to engage directly with the author and even not of the people of the great saints who speak in this ecstatic speech, but even when I say, when we're reciting the Quran, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I say, la ilaha la anta, or la ilaha la, or la ilaha la anta, or la ilaha la anna, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just to recite the book, mm-hmm. God is forcing me mm-hmm. to recite the book properly. Out of modesty or shyness, I can't change that eye. I can't change that verse of Quran to make it fit my modesty. I have to say, I am God. I have to say those words off of my tongue, although it is a lot to Allah speak. And this is like an exercise mm-hmm. in breaking the first wall, so to speak. I just make that just now. But breaking the first wall, so I'm going to seek to embody the writer, the creator of the narrative, until he becomes the eye by which he sees with, you know what I'm saying? I become that, or he becomes the eye by which I see with, the ear by which I hear with, the hand by which I strike with, the foot by which I walk with, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, that is what religion is doing. The ritual mm-hmm. is to habitually break us out of the illusion, engage us back with the author, and then send us back in the illusion around to manifest the story, you know? And yeah, mashallah, it is. Because when Neo, when Neo was afraid, we become afraid. When Neo is happy, we become happy. When Neo falls in love, we fall in love. Because then we become him, you know what I'm saying? Or he becomes us, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I was thinking about the fact I was thinking about the fact that like some of our even in our age, right? I know, you know, alhamdulillah, you and I have like teachers who are great sages, great, you know, Sufi masters. And what's interesting is we live in an age of great upheaval. Some of them, even their own countries are being destroyed and, you know, in deep suffering and deep oppression and being bombed by other countries or have their own corrupt governments, etc. And I think you and I have talked about this, but what's deep about their engagement with the present moment and how they proceed. And we kind of, you know, I always contrast it with like kind of <laughs> some of the young like activist type people who are just like so you know, outraged and pointing the blame and looking for the, 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 the guilty party in the world. Mm-hmm. But you see some of the great teachers and they are, even though maybe suffering and seeing their people suffering deeply, and they're not apathetic at all. They're doing yeah. everything in their power to rectify the situation. But also, they're seeing it as the archetypes are playing out. That they're actually mm-hmm. living in the story of the mm-hmm. prophetic teachings. So they're mm-hmm. saying like, in every age, there's gonna be a Pharaoh and there's gonna be a Moses. Yes. And all we're trying to do is get people on the side of Moses. And we're trying to mm-hmm. call people to reality. And we know that if the storyteller wrote Moses to do, uh, the, the Pharaoh of our age to do these things, this is the storyteller's story. Right. We are in it and all we have to do is do, it, it do our best to act with wisdom and with, with uh, intention and the greatest grace possible am- amongst whatever the storyteller is writing for us. And also right. we have to have edeb with the storyteller. Right, we right. love the storyteller and we trust the storyteller and we have absolute certainty in the storyteller. And so, and we also see the character, see they also see the characters with a level of compassion because it's right. like, you're, you, ch- you chose this, but also you're, you, this is what's written for you. Right, so, right, right. And, and you're a fool because this is just a little part of the story. The greater part of the story happens after this chapter closes. Right, you know what right. I mean? And right, what right. you're doing now is of, great, is, is of great harm to your own reality, your own right. story forever and ever. And so that, and that's why, man, the stories that we live in, the stories that we believe in, the story that we tell ourselves about reality mm-hmm. is of utmost consequences. Ideas have meanings. Ideas have mm-hmm. consequences, as Dr. Omar says. Ideas have consequences. And that the person next to you or the people in your own home, they could be living in a totally different narrative and they're not experiencing the same thing at all. Right. That's the other yeah. piece of this is that in the amalu biniyat, actions are by intentions. And this again is a teaching across so that outwardly two people might do the exact same thing, but that right. inwardly their reality is totally different because of their intentions. So there's mm-hmm. always this story unseen that's the real story. Exactly. And then really intention is, 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 yeah, it's a consequence of story. You know, mm-hmm. like if I'm doing some mm-hmm. good act because of a, the narrative, and, and sometimes when I say narrative or story, like, you know, obviously in this conversation, the way we're meaning it, but sometimes it's like people think of it as fictional, like you said at the beginning, mm-hmm. where I can say, well, my story is the narrative that I'm giving this money to this poor person 
is that Allah likes it. Allah likes the grateful, I mean, the generous. He rewards the generous, blah, 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 blah. Like that's my, that's my, that's my story. Not that it's false. I'm saying the word story. And sometimes I don't like to use that, the word myth, story, narrative. It's kind of like, uh, uh, um, kind of a machination of the, of the ego, yes. you know, but that, that's not what I mean. We're like, of course, in the context of what we're using, meaning more real than, yeah. than yeah, yeah. these atoms and whatnot, you know what I'm saying? And that's the story. I mean, even if we deal with atoms, you know, once we really get into it, yeah, yeah the atoms are going to take the form of the story that you have, yes. you know, and the story of your consciousness, that's what atoms are going to, how atoms are going to behave, you know what I mean? Yeah, mashallah. Like, I, yeah, I don't know anything more. It is the most, it is the deepest and the most pervasive and like, it's a type of epiphany mm. that makes me, and this is my favorite type of epiphany, that makes me go back and like relearn everything I've learned mm. about everything, about love, about God, about religion, about the day of standing, about prophethood, about everything. It, it, it further illuminates things that I already believed and I thought I understood to a degree. It's just, I'm saying it's for writing this movie. For writing this movie, I was like, oh, like we were signing those mentions, those eyes of Quran. That's what I'm like. It's like, oh, yes, yes, yes. right. Oh, so when I, so something that's like saying subhanallah, mm-hmm. like when I, I'm, oh, subhanallah. Mm. Oh, right, God, mm. I you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, 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 and it makes it more uh, uh, immediately accessible. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to theoretical, I'm like, yeah, what is my relationship to Yusuf? And by way of that, the character in my book, I mean, the character in my story, by way of that, all of these things light up and they become immediately accessible. As some things, you know, as you know, sometimes we take things from our teachers and in a moment we have it, and then we kind of, it's like trying to remember a dream. I was like, oh, man, you know, you can remember the words of what was said or you have the notes, but you can't really access the reality like you did at that moment, you know. But by the function of story, the the, the frame of storytelling, it's like I can immediately access it all the time and I can immediately articulate it, Mm. you know, because when I talk to someone, a person could be an agnostic or, or some other tradition or whatever, but when I talk about my relationship with Yusuf and my story, it's, it's, it's immediately accessible, you know? So yes. when I can find something that's easily accessible for me so I can access it at a moment's notice, or that I can find something I can articulate, something that's very slippery, very abstract, very hard to hold. Even if you get it for a second and then you lose it and you get it for a moment, if I can find something I can put it in someone's hand, like you have this now. And anytime you want it, you can look at it. You know what I mean? Right. Allah Akbar. That's a big blessing from Allah Ta'ala. That's profound. And when you said that, when you said that, it reminded me of just like in movies where you have that epiphany point, you have that grand reveal, right? Like I thought of the usual suspects. Like you watch the end, it sets off this chain reaction of everything that happened before it. And you're like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> right, right, and then right. if you watch that movie again from the beginning, again, knowing that, right. you're seeing a totally different movie. And right. that's likewise with the people. I love the, what you said about epiphany. And I think this gets into like ma'rifa, experiential knowledge. That, mm-hmm. And uh, I was reading this book by Michael Pollan. And, and he was 
it's called how to change your mind it's a super good book it's actually all about the science of psychedelics but one thing that he said about it is that he says in the psychedelic experience there's a noetic quality so the the word noetic was interesting to me but what he means is like when you you know there's like the kind of stereotype of like the hippie right who's just like drops acid and then he's like we're all one we all just need to love each other and then it's like you're just like all right dude whatever i gotta get to work you know what i mean like this freaking hippie right but what he said is deep about it he says the noetic quality is the profound the level at which you you experience and experientially realize things Mm. because he's talking about for instance the science of people using psychedelics to kick drug addiction, for instance, or smoking cigarettes, let's use that. People know I have this, this habit, it's harmful for me, I shouldn't be doing it, but why don't they actually change? But he's saying that in that experience, you have such a profound level of experiencing the harm or the, the, the pattern or whatever, that it can change you in a single experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, likewise, when, when you just, you know, learn the teachings, like it's all one, we should love each other. That doesn't necessarily sink in that, you know, a lot of people who are believers in that look at how they behave and look at the harm they do to others. Right. But, and that's why, like, we could hear a, a, like the noetic quality to use it. Like, you know, in our story, you could be, you heard a specific verse or a specific hadith or a specific teaching of, of your sheikh many times, a hundred times, a thousand times. And you understood it on a specific level, but, but then once it hits you, right? right? It just hits you to your core and it actually causes this epiphany and this opening and you can never, it, it affects the way you see the whole thing and yourself and everything. And so like, you know, and I think that's the depth too of like spiritual practice is supposed to do something to us. It's supposed to carve something in us out so that we can deeper, deep, more deeply experience these transformative vantage points that actually change our, you know, and that's that hadith. I was a hidden treasure or, or you, you know, you draw it near to me until I love you. And then I become the eye with which you see the ear with which you hear in one narration the tongue with which you speak so mm-hmm. yeah man like this noetic quality and that's also in a movie which is the like in a in a good story you actually s- suspend yourself you forget about yeah. yourself forget like about yourself. not it's a story that's not well told it's like yeah whatever okay you know like yeah. when it's really good it's so gripping that you kind of fade away and yeah. on this deep level, you're experiencing the scene and the, the, the one seeing and the different perspectives and experiences. No. Yeah, yeah, mashallah. Yeah, and it's a practice that you can easily have. And if you do it with the right intention, like if you know what you're experiencing, you name it, the way we're naming it right now, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, that can be a gateway. So I love going to the movies. I, I go to the movies, quote unquote, religiously, you know, to, 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 to have that experience for time, to have that type of relationship with time, to have that type of relationship with selfhood, you know, um, and a vanishing of self, you know, to, to watch someone else's imagination. So I'm watching this movie, movie and I'm in Christopher Nolan's consciousness. That's really what's happening. 
I'm inside his consciousness, you know what I mean? So like when I'm watching Inception, I'm going inside of Christopher Nolan's consciousness where these characters are going into other people's consciousnesses and they're going to other people. Like, you know, that's really what's happening. I'm in his mind, you know what I'm saying? And uh, in his heart, in his worldview, in his narrative, in his story, you know? And so, yeah, I, I like to go to the movie. Matter of fact, after we get off of here, I'm going to pray my to go to the movie, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> tonight, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's become a, a, an actual tool of deep, profound, spiritual awakening. You know, it's not exaggeration. I know maybe it sounds crazy uh, to, to, to some people, but it's the truth. It is, it is a great means of, even if the movie is not great, even if the movie isn't about something good, yeah. it's not even so much about the subject of the movie, but the skill of the storytelling, you know, and you'll have, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a TV show. I, I don't even watch this show just because it's repulsive to me, but the TV show on Fox, I think it is, or, you know, one of those general stations, common stations, not some special network, you know, called Lucifer. And Lucifer is a protagonist. And you're identifying with Lucifer. And you're identifying with what he wants and how he ended up where he got to. And he's misunderstood. And like, I don't even engage that narrative because I know the, the power of narrative. Like, I'm not trying to live in Luciferian consciousness. I'm not trying to lose my selfhood to engage Luciferian freaking selfhood. I'm, I'm not interested. You know, um, but you can tell the story of anyone, you know, no matter how wicked or how harmful or how, not even to make a judgment about good or bad, but no matter how distant someone is from me, whether this person is a little green creature that lives on a freaking planet so many thousands of years ago mm-hmm. in a galaxy far, far away. But if the story is written well, I'm this little green Sufi monk warrior <laughs> uh, from thousands of years ago, many you know light years away or whatever. But you know that's that's it's a it's a type of magic, man. It's a real type of magic that some people can wield for good or for harm. You know, uh, to benefit or 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 to or to harm people. You know? Mashallah. Yeah, and I mean, alhamdulillah. There's a few things I think we should we should close. I mean, we could go on and on like this and it's it's beautiful. But I think one of the things too that you reminded me of and when you said like going to watch a movie as a spiritual practice. And like to me, it doesn't strike me as odd at all because I know you and I know that. It, but also just generally like for uh, for me, it's like and for you, I know like writing, you know, people s- see you as like a poet and look at the great words that come out of you. and. MashaAllah. But, you know, because I know you and we, we've got to, you know, spend time together, I know that your poetic output and by extension, your, you know, movie writing output is directly related to how you see the world and how the world occurs to you and your, you know, the lens through which you see, the eye through which you see. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I notice, like, just in general conversation, you are super, you have a great um, skill at actually just bringing up analogy. Like, like, you see things through narrative. Like, for instance, whatever we're talking about, difficulty in life and struggles and how it can make you stronger. And you, you just like immediately was like, we're like, it's like, 
a push-up. You don't, you know, like the ground is gravity. Those things are beneficial because those are what allows you to have resistance. And like, you know what I mean? Just using very like embodied, tangible examples. And so I'm curious on one level, like, because for me, I see, and this is what I'm trying to do in these like online poetry courses and just ones that I teach in person as well is that, and I know because I know also the, what you do and what you teach when you teach writing is that it's primarily about seeing. It's, it's mm-hmm. very secondarily about what you actually write. And it's mm-hmm. primarily about how you see. And then the writing will come, right? Which is really deep. And, you know, so I've, I, you know, I'm, I wonder what you have to say about that. And then the hadith came to mind also that um, the Prophet ﷺ said, this world and everything cur- everything within it is cursed except for dhikr Allah, remembrance of God, and that which mm-hmm. helps you to remember God. Mm-hmm. Which, which is so deep because the other way to, like, you can reword that nothing in this world is cursed if it causes you to remember God or if it's a remembrance of God for you, which also gets to the like intention. And for two people having the same experience, it could have a totally different reality and it's based on their vantage point. Exactly. And that's why I so much want to encourage people and I'm coming more and more. I know you've been um, encouraging me with this to doing like a workshop or a class on story in this way because people just consume an incredible amount of story already. And so I would love for them to benefit from it. You know what I'm saying? Because there's no stopping people from the shows. Frankly, they're just too good. Like they're just too well written that the skill level at which people are writing is damn near at magic levels. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, they've developed the technology. When I say technology, I don't mean special effects and all that stuff. I mean, just years and years of refining storytelling. We've got to a point of storytelling that's absolutely enthralling that can engage a person for three, four, five hours at a time. If they have the like, if they don't have to work, if they're it's the weekend or whatever, there's people that will watch, you know, start a show, a season, and finish the season between on the weekend. Just finish the season. You know what I'm saying? That's ten hours. Is this people can't work out for ten hours? People don't work on their entrepreneurial business for ten hours. People. Don't, you know, there's a lot of people things that won't do for 10 hours. People do it voluntarily, not getting paid. In fact, they would pay for it, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, the point is, is that I would love to at least express what I've learned from stories so that they engage story in remembrance of God, you know what I'm saying? That it reminds them of the reality by watching the imaginary to, to engage the reality, you know what I'm saying? Um, oh, maybe that's the name of the workshop. Engaging the reality by the imaginary. Huh? Mm-hmm. That sounds very beautiful. <laughs> and yeah, man, I mean, and I think, alhamdulillah, that's one of the main reasons, you know, we called the, the organization that I founded Rumi Center for Spirituality and the Arts because Rumi embodies in one person the spiritual master and the artist. And also mm. what's deep about him is that he made a decision implicitly at, at one point early in his career, he was a teacher. He was teaching law, teaching theology, teaching all these things. And then at one point, he made a decision or a realization. He had an epiphany, as he stated it. And from that point on, he decided that he wasn't going to write like a, like 
not even theological or kind of legal treaties, but even he wasn't going to write a kind of spiritual manual on the path. But then the best way to guide people, to guide his disciples, was through art. So he was just going to make art. You know what I mean? He was going to write poems and tell narrative. And in fact, uh, I, can't, I can't wait for you to get into this, this book about the polished mirror, because in that essay on Rumi, he talks about that Rumi has seven, seven voices throughout the Mesnevi. Like seven perspectives, like there's the narrator, then there's the person in the narration, then there's this, like all these perspectives are at work, which is deep. So yeah, man, I really believe, and especially in our time uh, in which people, uh, religion is such a difficult category for a lot of people. And it's just, you know, Art is such a profound tool. And also because of the story of modernity, you know, people don't want to hear about religion, but they, they do want to imbibe meaning. And how do they do it? It's through art. It's through movies. It's through music, right? People talk about having a religious experience at a concert. It's through mm-hmm. going to, right, they go to the museum. And they like, in the same way that people would have gone to a monastery or gone to a church to worship, they go to stare at this to try to edify their, their lives or get meaning or draw something out or to converse yeah. about these, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think we occupy a really important place and that, you know, these are profound tools. And I agree. The Muslim community is really so far missed this, like all these conferences, et cetera. And you think, you know, and there may be great speakers, say that all of them are amazing, right? You have 50 people speaking to you in this Mm. one. But it's like, we've really failed to understand human consciousness and subjectivity and psychology if we don't understand that that to have like an entertainment section with one or two Mm. people as opposed (laughs) to like centering narrative and art Mm. and like empowering the true storytellers, not just like, oh, well, we can get anyone to just entertain, like, to take a break from people lecturing. Exactly. Like, no. Exactly. And that's what it is. It's like to take a break from the serious matters, yes. we're going to relieve you with some entertainment. You know what I mean? And then we're going to get back to the serious matters. But yeah, when it comes to retention of the virtues, retention of the teachings, hands down, cross culturally, cross religious traditions, storytelling is the means by which, it's the, the frame by which that these virtues are retained man you know that that's yeah that's how it goes man alhamdulillah bro i appreciate your time you want to um just let people know who are listening um where they can find your work or what you're working on now or the best place to just you know follow your your output um yeah so um you know you can find me across the social networks uh just for my first and last name amir sulaiman a-m-i-r-s-u-l-a-i-m-a-n um, we just uh, released uh, the pilot sizzle for a show that, uh, again, about it's not about narrative, but it's uh, called Cornerstone Folklore, where we're going to different parts of the world and looking at those places through the lens of their poet, poetic traditions. And our pilot episode is in Iran. It's dope. You can look that up, Cornerstone Folklore, uh, on YouTube. Um, True and Living Media is my production company. And so that's the, the, the company that. I shot that we created that. So you can look up trueandlivingmedia.com. And you can check for me at the Rumi Center, even though Blue and I haven't 
settled exactly how or when we're going to do it, but I'm going to do a, do a workshop called The Universe is a Poem, um, which is actually related to what we're talking about, but also I want to do a workshop specifically on storytelling and even more specifically on film. Mm. So view films, talk about films, view films, and draw out some of the meaning of, 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 of some of these things we're talking about. The more I'm thinking about <laughs> the more I'm thinking about, more I'm inclined to it. It's always been such a very peculiar thing that I've just nerded out on. And so it's always been something that I don't hear other people talk about in this kind of way. So I'm like, I don't want to even be interested in this type of thing. Um, but the more I do talk about it, the more I realize how important it is. And even if other people aren't talking about it, some more reason to, you know, to make it part of our collective discourse. So, so we'll see. But we're going to do that soon, inshallah, February, inshallah. Inshallah, bin Allah. All right, bro. I appreciate you, man. All right, man. Love you, man. Love you, too.